Last week, I introduced you to Joe Nuxall, the man who is the youngest person ever to play in Major League Baseball. It turned out it happened on June the 10th, 1944. It was during World War II. So many of the baseball players had enlisted in the Army, and they were off fighting the war. It was the president who called the commissioner of baseball and said, Please keep the game going. We need it for the morale of our country. And so they went and talked to the people who had retired. They began trying to find young people to bring them up sooner. And that's what led the scouts of the Cincinnati Reds to go to Hamilton, Ohio, and to meet Joe Nuxall. Joe Nuxall was 15 years old. He already stood at 6'3", 195 pounds, and he could throw a fastball 85 miles an hour, sometimes with control. No, this kid was good. And the Cincinnati Reds signed him to a contract, but during the spring, he was still going to the ninth grade. And so he could only come on weekends and not show up for the game earlier. But when summer came, he was with the team all the time. But to tell you the truth, Joe really didn't expect to get to play. But on June the 10th, Cincinnati was playing the St. Louis Cardinals, and they were losing 13 to nothing. It was the eighth inning when the coach called down to Joe and told him to go to the bullpen to warm up. And when he went down and started warming up, the fans all started watching. They'd heard of this 19-year-old kid getting signed. The other dugout started watching, and they saw that he could throw. He came back to the dugout. When the Reds got out and it was time to take the field, the coach came down and handed him the ball. And when he handed him the ball, he simply said, Just do the best you can, son. And Joe looked at that ball for a moment. And he was so excited. And so he started bounding up the steps out of the dugout. And when he got to the top step, he caught his toe. He went down flat on his face outside the dugout. His own dugout started laughing. The other dugout started laughing. Everybody saw him lying there with his ball in his hand. He finally got up and dusted himself off and went out to the mound. He got the first batter to ground out. Then he walked the second one. And then he got the third one to pop out. And then he walked the fourth one. No, it looked like Joe Nuxall might get out of his first inning pitched in his life at 15 years old and not have a hit nor a run scored against him. But that fifth batter turned out to be Stan Musial. Stan Musial had won the batting title the year before, and he was very calm when he stepped into the plate, and Joe let it fly, and Stan hit a rocket out into right field. Two runs scored. And that was the beginning. After they had scored another five runs, finally he was pulled from the game. He couldn't quite get that third out. Joe would be sent down to the minor leagues and go to school. And when he finally graduated and had a couple years under his belt in the minor leagues, he came back to the Cincinnati Reds and he would have a 15-year career as a pitcher. He would, he would be in almost 500 games, striking out more than 2,200 batters. He is fifth 
on the all-time list for pitchers for the Cincinnati Reds. He had a great career. It was in 1967, 38 years old, getting old for a baseball player. He felt he had a couple more seasons to go when the coach came to him spring training and said, you're not going to make the team. He was devastated to have his world turned upside down in a moment. But then he said, we want to invite you to be in the, the radio broadcasting booth. We think you'd be a great broadcaster if that's something you would like to do. Joe had never thought about broadcasting. He had no training in broadcasting. But he said when they handed him the microphone, all he could think about was how when he was 15 years old, the coach handed him the ball and said, just do the best you can, son. He took the microphone and decided that's what he would do. He was a little rough around the edges. He wasn't like everybody else. He just started to do his own thing. And it really caught on with people. And what Joe discovered was he had a passion for this. It really was a new calling for him, a new way to be living his life. He could still be throwing batting practice to the team. He could still be coaching the younger players, still giving words of encouragement. No, he loved what he was doing, and he would be in the broadcast booth for 37 years. And he would end every game with the saying, This is the old left-hander, rounding third and heading for home. He didn't mean, I'm getting near the end. What he meant was, I'm still in the game. I'm still trying to score. I still got dreams and a vision. I'm giving my best. I'm rounding third and heading for home. This morning, I want to continue on the sermon series, Heading for Home. And we have said that the whole spirit of this series is the idea that we know we too have fallen on our face. We've had our failures. We've made our mistakes. Sometimes life has just treated us harsh. We've had those moments. But it's like God has handed us life and said, just do your best. Stay in the game. Don't quit. And if you will give your best, if you continue on, then you're going to find yourself rounding third and heading for home. We live in the light of Easter, and it is the Easter message that fills us with hope, so we don't have to quit. That's what we're looking at Peter throughout this entire sermon series, to see how the Easter message affected the life of Peter. Because Peter certainly was someone who fell on his face. It was Peter who said, we will never deny you. I will never deny you. Though everybody else runs away, I will not run away. And then, of course, it's Peter who runs away and denies even knowing Jesus. Now, he fell on his face. But it is Peter who winds up having a confrontation with Jesus on the beach. After Jesus has been raised from the dead, he sees Peter on the beach and Jesus says, Go feed my sheep. It's a calling about going forward. 
And the reason I gave you three scriptures today is because I think it's fascinating if you see what started to happen in Peter's life. What we see, first of all, is that Peter doesn't quit. It looked like he's going to. After the crucifixion, Peter said, I'm going fishing. I'm not going to be a fisher of men. I'm going after fish. I'm going back to the way it used to be. But suddenly in the book of Acts, we read how Peter is now with the disciples in Jerusalem with all of the women and the other men. And it says, and Peter stood up and he spoke to 120 people. That's not a lot. A crowd maybe a little bit bigger than one section. That's what he spoke to. 120 people. But he was in the game. We know several weeks went by. And we had Pentecost. God pours out His Holy Spirit upon the people. It's like the sound of a rushing wind. And Peter rises up and rides the wind. He now preaches. And now we read where it says, And 3,000 people were saved. And then you go over a couple more chapters. Several more weeks have gone by. Peter has been going up to the temple to pray along with John. There's been a man who was lame. They healed the man. And they've been told, don't you preach in Jesus' name. They knew that if they did, they'd be thrown into jail, maybe put to death like Jesus. And Peter stands up and he preaches. And now it says, and 5,000 were saved. I just thought it was kind of interesting to start reading. 120, 3,000, 5,000, step by step. One at a time, Peter decided to try to stay in the game, to do the best that he could. And God was calling him into the future. I think that's what God does for us. It's what I want us to think about this morning. And I just want to share with you three ideas. When you and I have fallen on our face, have faith. Now, we know faith, we say, is another word for trust. Have trust in God's constant love for us, His children. Trust that God is going to speak to you in ways you do not expect, with words you had not anticipated, in order to give you strength and to give you a vision for the future. That is different. When you find yourself in those difficult moments, have faith that God will speak to you in ways you do not expect, when you do not expect, to give you strength and a different vision for your future. I told you about Wayne Dosick, rabbi who lives in, down in San Diego, how one weekend he and his wife went on a, uh, a trip to go see a, a son of a friend, have his bar mitzvah. They came back home and when they got home, a, a fire had raced down the canyon where their home was and it burned their home and every home on the block to the ground, to the foundation. I mean, the flames had been over 30 feet high, the temperature over 2,000 degrees. I mean, it just literally melted and consumed everything. And when they got home and they saw that, I mean, talk about a 
uh, just a devastating moment. It was the insurance company who taught them how to make a kind of a, a scrid, a sift, building some little wood pieces and putting screen. Then they got shovels and rakes and your gloves and you start putting the ashes on this thing and shaking it in order to sift through the ashes, literally. Saying, you know, there's things you might find that you want. And Wayne talked about how they went out there that first day and they started sifting through these ashes and they found a, a lump of metal and he recognized this was his grandfather's pocket watch. It meant so much to him. And they found a, a, some metal with a stone. It was his mother's ring. And then he found another piece of metal. It was, it was the cap to the pen he had been given when he was ordained. He said, I looked at these pieces of metal and thought, that metal will never keep time again. That piece of metal will never be worn again. That metal will never write again. The loss was devastating. Wayne had had a a library of 6,000 books. I mean, this guy is so smart. 6,000 books, some that were hundreds of years old, some that had survived the Holocaust. I mean, they were gone. But as they were sifting through the ashes, he came across a small piece of paper burned around the edges that had survived. And when he read it, he knew it was immediately from Eli Weissel, the man who had survived the Holocaust, who has written so many books. And he read what Eli had written. The man asked me coldly after the Holocaust, Do you still believe in God? And I said... After the Holocaust, how can I help not believe in God? And he held the piece of paper and he thought, after the tragedy, can I believe in God? After the tragedy, how can I help not believe in God? He kept the paper. They continued to sift on through things. They found a piece of pottery And then they came across a really small piece of paper, again burned all around, but it was from the title page of one of the books that he had written, and he recognized it immediately, and it simply said, The best is yet to be. They continued to sift until finally late in the evening. It was almost dusk, and he found one more piece of paper, all burned, Just a few words on the page. And it said, Be strong, be strong, and strengthen one another. He said he took those three pieces of paper home to read them. After the tragedy, do you still believe in God? After the tragedy, how could I help not believe in God? The best is yet to be. Be strong, be strong, and strengthen one another. He said, I feel like God was speaking to me. It's how I felt God was speaking to me to give me strength and to give me hope about a future. You have to trust that God will speak to you in ways that you do not anticipate 
when you do not anticipate. But God does come when we're in those most difficult of moments to give us strength and to give us a new vision for the future. Jesus came to Peter on the beach. Peter never expected to see Jesus on the beach. He wouldn't have expected that in a million years. That Jesus was there to be fixing him breakfast. To be saying to him, Peter, do you love me? You know that I love you, Lord. Then feed my sheep. Jesus was there in the most unexpected moment to give him encouragement and to give him a new vision for the future. It's when you and I become so discouraged and so despondent, when we quit, when we give up, that it gets hard to hear God speak. But I believe God does want to draw near if we listen. Second, for Peter, what he discovered was that if God can raise Jesus from the dead, nothing is impossible. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, nothing is impossible. Jesus said, Peter, you will be the rock and on you I will build my church. Really? Peter was a fisherman. He was illiterate. He could not read. He could not write. He held no political position. He had no wealth. That's impossible. And you know that Peter had to have thought that. And everybody else would have thought that. And after he fell on his face, everybody sure thought that. And yet maybe it's because he thought, if God can raise Jesus from the dead, maybe it's not impossible. He gathers in Jerusalem and he stands up to speak to 120 people. And then 3,000 And then 5,000. And a church that grows around the world. Impossible? Things become impossible when we decide they are. If you're a baseball fan, you certainly will remember the 2011 season. Because it may have been the most exciting baseball season ever. It was in 2011 with only 30 games to go. St. Louis Cardinals were uh, 10 and a half games out. And if you only got 30 games to go and you're behind 10 and a half games, you're done. It's over. Everybody would know that. But through a strange set of wins and losses, you got down to five games to go, and they were only three games out. But still, three behind with five games to go, you still know is impossible. But through a strange set of circumstances, when you came to the end of a 162-game season, when the last game was played, Cincinnati was, I mean, the St. Louis Cardinals were now tied with the Atlanta Braves for the wild card spot. It was amazing, incredible. And so they had one game, a one-game playoff, winner take all, who becomes the, uh, the wild card? And St. Louis won. They were in the playoffs. After having been back ten and a half games with 30 games to go, they were actually in the playoffs. Now, nobody expected them to win, 
I mean, my goodness gracious, you had all these teams having great seasons. They'd had a horrible season until the last 30 days. So their first team up was the Philadelphia Phillies. They were predicted to win. But St. Louis beat them in that series. And so next up was the Milwaukee Brewers. They really had had a great season. And St. Louis beat them in the series. And suddenly the St. Louis Cardinals were in the World Series. I mean, you talk about unbelievable. And their opponent was going to be the Texas Rangers. Now, having grown up in Houston, I cheered all my life for the Houston Astros. And when the Texas Rangers got started, I also cheered for the Texas Rangers. Neither team has ever won a World Series. And in 2011, the Texas Rangers made the World Series. I got to tell you, I was pumped. I was excited about that series. I watched carefully. After five games, St. Louis had won two, and Texas Rangers had won three. First team to win four, you win the World Series. I will always remember that sixth game. Turned out Texas got ahead. St. Louis caught up. Texas got ahead. St. Louis caught up. We came to the ninth inning, and Texas was ahead, seven to five. Two runs up. All we needed was three outs, and you win the World Series. They got a hit, they got an out, they got a hit, they got an out. Two men on, two outs. David Freeze steps up. Two quick strikes. It's now strike two. Two outs. You're down by two runs. All we need is one strike. The pitcher steps off the mound. And he kind of walks around. Everybody is on their feet screaming. And he kind of rubbing the ball. It's like you savor the moment. It's something that every kid dreams of all their life. You savor that moment. This is it. And he steps back up on the mound and he throws that pitch. And David Freeze hits it off the wall. Two run score. Seven to seven. We go to the 10th inning. So close. We get to the 10th inning. We get a hit. And Josh Hamilton, God love him, comes up, drives it into the outfield for a home run. Texas is now up 9-7, to seven, two runs again. We come up in the bottom of the 10th. They get a hit, they get an out, they get a hit, they get an out. Two men on, two outs. Lance Bergman comes to the plate. Two quick strikes. We're there again. One strike. All we need is one strike. And it's over. And we win the World Series. And Lance Bergman drives it off the wall. And two runs score. And it's now 9-9. We go to the 11th inning. You're feeling like this is not possible. In the 11th inning, Texas comes to bat and does not score. We go to the bottom of the 11th. And David Freeze is back up again. And he hits one into the center field bleachers. Home run. Bottom of the 11th. St. Louis wins. You looked back and went, that's not possible. There had been two outs, two strikes, twice. You know you're going to lose. But they didn't know that. We came to the seventh game and Texas, you just sensed, was still reeling from the night before in disbelief. A whole different feel. St. Louis came out riding high and they just pounded on Texas and they won the World Series. 
St. Louis would win. Ten and a half games back, barely make it, down to one strike twice, we learn that Yogi Berra knows what he's talking about. When Yogi said, it ain't over till it's over. All it takes is one. All it takes is one. It's not impossible. I believe that it's like God came to Peter and handed him the ball. and said, Peter, just do your best. It's not impossible. It's not over. Don't quit. You don't have to go back to fishing. Just do your best. 120? 3,000? 5,000? That's not possible. But it is. And so third, for Peter, it really started with a choice. It always starts with a choice. A choice to stay in the game. A choice to risk. A choice to try. It starts with a choice. You know, scholars say that really one of the pivotal moments in our faith story really is Jesus on the beach with Peter. After he has fallen flat on his face, after he's made the decision he's going back fishing, he fishes all night and catches nothing. And now Jesus is on the beach fixing him breakfast and Peter comes and confronts Jesus and Jesus said, go feed my sheep. What would Peter choose to do? That was the moment. What would he choose to do? Everything hung in the balance. There was every reason to think, me? Be the rock on which you build your church? After what I have done? Me? It would have been so easy to quit. A choice had to be made. What would he choose to do? You know, when we came to Easter this year, I couldn't help but think about a family and our family of faith, uh, Virginia and Garland, wonderful people. I was remembering because it was 15 years ago, it was on Good Friday that Virginia called me to tell me that her husband, Garland, had died. Garland was 80 years old, she was too. That Easter Sunday, that year, would have been their 12th wedding anniversary on Easter. And we got to talking about Garland and what a good man he was. And she started telling me about what a good life they had had, how these last 12 years they had traveled, they'd had so much fun, they'd been with friends and family. It had been so good. And then I asked her, I said, so how did you and Garland meet? And she told me this wonderful story. It came to her 50th um, high school reunion. And she was single and she was thinking, should she go or not? She said, you know, I just didn't want to feel like a third wheel. I didn't want to get there and be all alone, feel uncomfortable. And so she really had been praying about, oh God, do I do this or not? And she finally decided she would go. 
And so she went to this 50th high school reunion and got there and out in the lobby they were having their hors d'oeuvres, the appetizers, and, and she found a group of friends she hadn't seen in years and just went over and they talked and had such a good time. And in the back of her mind she was going, okay, I'm going to hang with them for the rest of the night. I feel at home. I got my friends. I'm not alone. This is good. And so she had such a good time until finally the appetizers were done. They opened the doors to the banquet hall for everyone to go in. And they were starting to go in when somebody hollered, Virginia! And she turned around and here was another group of friends she hadn't seen in years. They said, Virginia, come here! And she went over to them and they started talking and laughing and just visiting. It was so good to see them. But it went on for a while and she finally said, Look, guys, we've got to get in here and get a seat. And they said, oh, we're not staying for dinner. We just wanted to visit with you. We're heading home. Good to see you. And they left. And now Virginia was standing there alone. The very thing she didn't want to have happen. She was standing in the lobby all alone. And she looked inside this banquet room where everybody was now already seated. And she had to make a choice. Do I just go home? Or do I go in? She decided to go in. She had looked around. There was one table at the back where she saw an empty seat. She didn't really know anybody. She went over and said, is this seat taken? No, no, please join us. And so she sat down. She sat down and the man beside him, her name, his name was Garland. She had seen him in high school. They didn't really know each other. They didn't run in the same circles. But they visited that night and it was so easy. It was so much fun. And so the visit led to some phone calls. And the phone calls led to a date. And the date? Well, it led to more dates. And eight months later, they were married. And they would share the next 12 years having such a good time living life together. She talked of those memories and then she stopped and got quiet for a moment and we just sat on the phone in silence and finally she said, Bob, I've started wondering what would my life have been like if I hadn't decided to go to the party? It's a choice to go and live life. I believe it is Jesus each morning who hands you life. Just do your best. Just do your best. It's not impossible unless you decide it is. Trust God for strength and a new vision for your life. Just do your best. Stay in the game. Don't quit. Because if you don't quit, you'll find yourself rounding third and heading for home. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.